0: Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us reveal tote bags like our t-shirts they're simple and elegant dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type so here's what you got to do text the word review to 474747 and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last again text the word review to 474747 you can text stop at any time and standard rates apply and when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Letson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Around 7 p.m. each night the eerie silence that has spread through the streets of New York City is being replaced by this. Clapping, cheering, chanting, singing. It's not just New York. Around the world, people are showing their gratitude for doctors and nurses, but also delivery drivers, mail carriers, flight attendants, grocery store clerks, and farm laborers. The essential workers who can't work from home and don't always get sick pay, so What protections are in place for workers who feel they have no choice but to stay on the job? Monica Campbell of our partner show, The World, has been following how the pandemic is affecting farm workers. The week President Trump declared a national emergency, she headed to California's farmlands. Chances are those strawberries, tomatoes, lettuce or almonds you see in your supermarket come from this area. Since that day, she followed the story of the tough choices facing people who make sure we have food on our tables.
1: I head to Greenfield. It's a small town of about 20,000 people. It's the second week of March, and about 250 people have tested positive for COVID 19 in California. On the outskirts of town, there are all the fields. I go down this street and it turns into a dirt road.
2: Turn right on East Dallas, Street.
1: All of the housing changes from suburban small homes to single room dwellings. It's like you're walking into those black and white photos from the Dust Bowl days. I walk up to one of these structures, and it's a complex of single rooms, one after another after another, and I count 20. And the building is tan. It's the same color as the dirt, as the earth. And I spot a man outside one of the rooms. Buenos dias, tardes. Uh-huh. No estoy dando la mano porque ahora estamos de virus. Oh, sí. I explain that I'm not shaking hands because of the virus. Nicolas lives in room 13. And he's in his late 20s. He looks older, though. He's worked outside all of his life. And he tells me he works in the broccoli fields. I want to talk about the coronavirus, but Nicolas is more concerned about the rain. If it rains, he can't work. And it all depends on that. Nicolas, ¿usted envía dinero a su familia?
3: Sí, cuando tengo.
1: ¿Cuántos hijos tienen? He has three children in Mexico, and the money that he sends home pays for their food, and the utilities, anything they need for school. They're young kids, eleven, seven, and four years old. Say, sí, así es. Nicolas makes 13.50 an hour. He wires most of it home to a small rural village in southern Mexico. It's 2,000 miles away. He's the sole breadwinner. ¿Y usted cómo va al campo? una troca. And he gets to work by cramming himself into the back of a Silverado with half a dozen other men. It's how a lot of people get to the fields. He says the other day a guy at work would not stop coughing, not for four days. Many suspected it was the coronavirus, but they all rode together anyway. What do you think
3: about that? He
1: figures the guy coughing can't afford to stay
3: home.
1: Nicolás can't just get out of the car and walk to work. If someone's coughing, that's just what's happening. It's still a month or two from full-blown harvest season well, crews are already prepping the fields, and soon they're going to burst with spinach, broccoli, and lettuce. I met Alfonso Hernandez and David Rivera. They're at work, they're on a tractor, and they're sitting really close together. And they're hauling these long steel irrigation pipes across these huge fields. They're setting up the irrigation system for the fields, for the harvest. Que no han una I asked what their employers have told them so far about stepping up work safety and social distance, about the coronavirus.
4: Hasta el no.
1: Alfonso says his boss hasn't given them any information about the virus. This was a few weeks ago, and I checked with him on the phone this week, and he told me there had been a meeting and he'd been told to wash his hands. And that was it. I requested an interview with Alfonso's boss, but didn't hear back.
5: Okay, I'm ready. Recording. Uh,
0: my name is Armando Elenis. I'm the secretary treasurer for the United Farmworkers.
1: Armando Alenis works on behalf of farmworkers. Armando and his team have been serving farmworkers every few weeks, asking what their employers are telling them. He says, the workers aren't getting enough information and that they're scared. And rightfully so, because they're not being provided the information. They're scared of losing their money. They're scared of getting infected now. So when the government says they're essential workers, you know, the workers are responding sort of like, what? Now we're essential? That attitude made a lot of farm workers really angry. Because they were also saying,
0: hey, I'm not immune. I could get sick as well. And some are also very happy that they can continue working, right? But they're very afraid, deeply afraid now, of getting sick.
1: The emergency legislation passed by Congress offers up to 80 hours of paid sick time for workers. But this doesn't apply to all companies. Really big companies and really small companies can be exempt from paying out this sick time. That means Alfonso and David are not eligible because Elkhorn Packing, their employer has more than 500 employees. Many other farm workers are in the same position. I call Elkhorn Packing for comment, but they didn't get back to me. Another issue is health insurance. More than half of farm workers don't have it. When workers finish their day in the field, many of them go home, and they go home to boarding rooms like the one Nicolás lives in. It costs $260 a month, but the conditions are less than ideal for fighting the coronavirus.
3: Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. He tells me none of the rooms have their own bathrooms. There's a communal bathroom. There's a urinal and uh, two toilets and a sink, concrete floor. Son puros hombres aquí. Only men who live here. Yeah, it's um, not very clean. Think of a bathroom at like a rundown state park or an old army barracks. Everything's outside. The showers, there's the sinks, there's a large tub like a basin, and then there's this small bright pink bar of soap, just one. And everyone uses that. He's heard about the coronavirus on the radio, and he knows he needs to wash his hands more. And he says he's doing that. But when you look at the wash basin that he has to use, it's caked with dirt. What would you do if you uh, have a symptom like a fever or a cough? He would call the foreman and then the hospital, but he didn't really seem to know much about what it meant to call in sick because he's never called in sick.
3: Uh-huh.
1: In the States, he's never been to a doctor. The last time he went to a doctor was in Mexico, where they have universal health care coverage. I asked him if I could take a peek into his room, and it's a really small okay. room very small modest it's just a single bed really with a single sheet el alcohol que tienen ese usted lo compró sí on a small nightstand i see a bottle of rubbing alcohol and it's what he uses to clean his hands disinfect his room and if he gets a cold he rubs it on his face and says it's good for when his bones hurt it's half full and the only cleaning product I spot. Hi How are you? Hi, thank you. What's name? Your name's Roger.
2: Roger Tinayuki.
1: Roger spent a big part of his life here.
2: My parents we used to live there right across the street here as a little house as you come in on the four-way stop.
1: What do you do here?
2: I do the plants doors the windows or something you know
1: he's the caretaker and lives three doors down from Nicolas His room doesn't have a bathroom either
2: yes this is single single dwellings as far as the hygiene they don't have no laboratories or restrooms This is a simple uh, lavador
1: kind of all it, purpose
2: yes. So, yeah, and he says, oh, i got to go to the... Well, you have to get up and you have to go outside like a cabana. Right. They have to get up, travel over to go to go clean up. like
1: dormitory style. Yes, yes. Roger does his best to keep things stocked. He buys soap and paper towels with his own money. Financially, he's just a half step away from the farm workers who live here with him. And he worries about what will happen if people start getting sick. The idea now is, like, if you have a fever, that you stay home for two weeks. Do you think people will do that?
2: No, I don't think so. They will constantly have work.
0: Thanks to Monica Campbell of the World for bringing us that story. None of the large farms or farm associations we contacted agreed to do an interview with us. But we were able to reach Full Belly Farm just north of Sacramento. It's a smaller organic farm with about 80 full-time workers producing 100 different crops, which they sell to restaurants, wholesalers, and farmers markets. Paul Muller is one of the owners. Paul, thanks for joining me.
6: Well, thank you for having me today.
0: So specifically, like, what are you telling your employees so that they can remain safe?
6: We've talked about washing hands and cleanliness and using gloves when they pick and repeated hand-washing whenever they take those gloves off and they come in from the fields. We've talked about social distancing, not only with them as a crew, but trying to get them the information at their families and so that we as a farm can hopefully avoid seeing anyone come up here that might be ill. And We're also telling them if they feel sick or if they feel like they don't feel well, they should stay home. They should call us and let us know what's going on so that we have a good handle on the health of anyone who's not able to come to work because they're, they're not feeling well.
0: Are, are they able to get to hand sanitizer or, or wash their hands while they're in the field?
6: So they travel as a, as a crew, maybe four or five people together, trying to keep some distance there. Um, every truck has some hand sanitizer. In the truck, we have hot water hand wash stations here when they come in for lunch and when they start the day and when they finish the day.
0: It just seems like a really impossible situation for all involved in the sense of, like, having that many people, like, in a car together is not—you can't really do the social distancing there, right?
6: Well, that's that's true. Um, we can practice the best type of of uh, social distancing we can and we're asking them to work as a crew and or you know to sit a couple in the back of a pickup as they're going out to a field trying to be more mindful of the distance they have between one another but you know the greater calamity may be if if we stop producing food and the greater irony is that at this time we realize that those who we've, we've kind of disregarded or somewhat marginalized in society in one way or another either by um, not acknowledging their contribution or not paying them well enough so that they have um, a respectable life and can raise their kids and and go to local schools, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We now understand that they're essential workers in this system. They're the ones who keep the food coming from the fields to those grocery stores that we're all depending upon more intimately now. So um, it is a conundrum. Um, We're doing the best we can and kind of making this up as we go along here.
0: We've heard from some farm workers who are angry that they feel like now people consider them essential. Um, but in general, they don't get a lot of respect.
6: Oh, I, I would say the anger is pretty justified. They have always been essential workers. They have always been the hands that pick the fruit or sort the uh, the ears of corn or uh, make a judgment about which apple is right. They've all been doing that for years. And if you look at California's agricultural economy, they say as many as, well, anywhere from 50 to 70 percent of the workers in California's fields may not be fully documented. We should stop dancing around the idea of immigration reform. We have 13 million people in this country doing a lot of the jobs that are critical jobs to, to keep our hotels open, or our restaurants serving food, or dishes getting washed, or construction sites continuing being built. um, They're doing things that are critical to us, and we should stop fooling ourselves and get to the business of of allowing them recognition and some status where they're not living in, in the shadows or living in fear.
0: So you mentioned that a lot of workers are undocumented, and that puts workers at greater risk. How does that affect you as a farm owner?
6: Well, you know, I, 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 have to verify, I have to have a social security number for every worker we have. I have to verify that they have a card that says they can work in this country, um, as every farmer does. Um, but it, I think what it, what it does is it makes everyone in the food system somewhat culpable to what is a lie. And that ultimately erodes the character of anyone who has to farm and live with that lie.
0: If uh, one of the people working on your farm got sick, uh, what kind of health care options would they have?
6: So we pay part of their health insurance, about 50%, and they pay the other half. Um, but we make sure that they can un- they understand the process of accessing their doctor and making sure they can use that health care. We ask them to keep us informed of what's going on so we can help them. Um, and so and then we have to begin monitoring everybody else. Yeah. It is a dangerous situation, um, so we're we're don't know exactly what we'll do until we are confronted with someone who's sick and then figure out how we deal with that.
0: Are you worried about your farm surviving this crisis?
6: Um, Well, you know, I'm not in that I know people are going to eat food. In our social contract, what we're in business for is to grow food. I'm worried that at some point someone will say farm workers can't be out there And the real process that we're engaged in right now at the end of March, 1st of April, we are planting our summer crops. As most farmers in this area who grow crops for for production are planting summer crops, and those are tomatoes and melons and corn and and beans and things that um, we will be eating six months from now or three months from now. It's really difficult to think about how we would say that the farm worker community has to stay home and shelter in place because there simply would stop being movement of a lot of crops from our California fields.
0: If the government told you to close your farm temporarily, what would you do?
6: Well, I think um, we have a, a, a partnership here. I think all the partners would be picking vegetables and picking what we could. And we'd pick, pick and pack and try and get things to people who need it. And um, if we can't have our farm workers here, those of us who are able to work here on the farm will still pick what we can. But we we won't be able to produce nearly as much as we can with a good, good healthy crew. So um, I don't know what we do.
0: Paul Muller is one of the owners of Full Belly Farm north of Sacramento. Paul, thank you so much for talking to us.
6: Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for your show and what you're doing. Bye.
0: One more note. Paul tells us that he's offering workers up to 80 hours of sick time, which the federal relief package now provides. And the day after we spoke, he sent us a follow up note. He said our conversation got him thinking, so he held a meeting with his crew and told them they could only allow two people in a truck from now on and they must practice six feet of social distancing. He says they're ordering masks, but in the meantime, he's encouraging workers to cover their mouths with bandanas. In between the field and the table is the grocery store, and some workers there are worried about having to come into contact with the public.
7: Absolutely. If I could afford to just stay home and stay quarantined with my family until this whole thing blows over, there's no doubt in my mind I would do it.
0: You're listening to Reveal.
2: Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. We often hear, it's not polite to bring up religion, but we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, how white Christians built and maintained Confederate monuments across the U.S. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch season two wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save At Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
0: From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. The lettuce and broccoli that are picked by farm workers in California make their way to store shelves, thanks in large part to an army of workers inside grocery stores— Right now, as the majority of Americans shelter in place, grocery stores are some of the last remaining hubs of activity. And they're also potential hubs for the spread of the coronavirus. Grocery store workers are on the front lines, designated as an essential workforce by some states. But how well are they being protected and compensated for their role in this fight? To find out, I called up Nathan Tetro. Nathan's 38 years old and works in the produce department, at a Winn-Dixie grocery store in Pensacola, Florida. Do you remember the first time you heard about the coronavirus? I do. what did you think about it?
7: Um, actually, I took it pretty serious right off the bat. And what about your job? Uh, they were slow to respond. At first, they took a lot of gloves from the produce department to pass around to everybody. Um, but they were only giving them a few pairs at a time, um, and then they started getting a little more serious and they took away the community coffee, the free coffee for all customers. They took away single serve donuts. They were wiping things down a little bit more, but it didn't seem too diligent. And uh, they are not enforcing the six foot policy and the checkout lines. Everybody's still crammed in there trying to check out as quickly as they can.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: Is it possible to do that? It is definitely possible. There are stores um, like Target, for example. Last time we went in there, they actually put little circles on the ground at the checkout lines that are six feet apart. I know Publix has started installing little plastic guards between their cashiers and the customers. But yet, there's not too much going on over at Winn-Dixie. And when did you start feeling sick? Uh, 15 days today was when I started feeling sick. I am still symptomatic um, I'm not getting better, however, it's not getting worse either, so I guess that's a plus.
0: What are, what are the symptoms that you're having right now?
7: Um, my lungs are very heavy. Uh, my wife's having pretty much the same symptoms as I am. We feel like we got those little lead blankets from the dentist just sitting on our lungs. A um, little bit of a dry cough, congestion. Uh, I guess we're lucky enough to not have a fever, any of the other crazy symptoms, so we were just told to stay home. Have you been tested for it at all? Uh, That's an interesting question. We cannot get tested. We do not meet the criteria for testing in our area. You have to be over 65 with severe symptoms. You have to have left the country in the past few weeks or had positive contact with somebody who has been diagnosed. So because we don't meet those criteria or the unsaid ones of being an actor, politician or athlete, we can't get tested. Unfortunately, they said two out of the three symptoms is just not enough right now.
0: And did you tell your employer that you were feeling sick?
7: I did. The day I was feeling sick, I went in and I told my manager, look, I don't think I need to be here. I need to go home. And she said, well, we were told to send you home right away. Then if you don't feel good.
0: And are you being paid? Do you have sick leave at all? Absolutely not. So when are you supposed to head back to work?
7: Thursday of this week
0: Thursday so I'm talking to you on a Monday and you go back in four days how are you feeling
7: Uh, I mean I'm still feeling symptomatic I don't feel like I'm 100% that's for sure Um, but I can't I really can't afford to stay out of work much longer
0: is is I mean that's the primary driver of you going back is that you, you you need a paycheck
7: Absolutely. If I could afford to just stay home and stay quarantined with my family until this whole thing blows over, there's no doubt in my mind I would do it.
0: Are you worried about spreading the virus if if you have it?
7: Oh, for sure. Um, I live in an older community. Um, We are the youngest people in our neighborhood. So I'm scared every day for my neighbors. Uh, We've told them, you know, don't even come to our yard right now. You know, we're just trying to protect everybody around us. So what are you going
0: to do when you go back to work? Are you like going to wear gloves and a mask? I mean, what, what, what's your game plan?
7: Yes. Uh, actually, before this got really, really bad, me and my wife actually got our hands on one N95 mask each. And I'm just going to have to, I guess, Lysol it every single day after my shift and reuse it because we aren't getting supplied masks. And I'm sure as heck not going to want to trust a bandana.
0: How important is your paycheck to your family's finances?
7: Oh, my gosh, it's critical. Um, My wife is medically retired. She doesn't get a ton of money. Um, She covers the bills. My paycheck basically covers our food and any kind of extras we may need.
0: Do you have any idea how you might have gotten sick in the first place?
7: I would put my bets on working at the grocery store. First of all, produce department, people are touching every single potato, every single tomato, every pepper. It's not like the aisles where somebody's just grabbing a box and going.
0: What would you like people to know about what it's like to work in a grocery store right now?
7: Oh, geez. Um, Be patient with everybody who's working there. Please be respectful of the social distancing. And don't touch everything. Commit before you actually put it in your cart.
0: I'm just curious that, like, we, we're in this really, really hard space where people kind of, um, bless you, uh, where where people like yourself have to make really hard decisions. Like, you're not feeling well, but on the flip side, you can't afford to stay home. How, how does that make you feel?
7: Helpless. Lost. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in America. This is supposed to be the richest and greatest country in the world. Um, right now I really don't feel that way.
0: Are you worried about speaking out about the working conditions?
7: I don't care anymore. I'm at the point where I am just so fed up with it that I'm just, I'm done. It's time for people to just start speaking out about their employers and the lack of care that we're given. You know, we don't feel valued half the time.
0: Nathan, thank you so much for talking to us today. And really, I I hope you feel better and take care of yourself.
7: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it.
0: Okay, man. Take care. After we spoke to Nathan, Winn-Dixie updated its policies, installing plexiglass partitions at checkouts and strengthening its rules on social distancing. And Nathan just learned he's not allowed to go back to work without a doctor's note. He still isn't getting paid time off. We reached out for comment to Winn-Dixie's parent company, Southeastern Grocers, but never heard back. Nathan got in touch with us because we've been running a campaign on social media, asking grocery workers to tell us what they're seeing during this crisis. The results are eye-opening. We had more than 600 responses, from a cashier at a ShopRite store in New Jersey to a worker at a Whole Foods in New Orleans, Louisiana. My colleagues Patrick Michaels and Will Carlos have been reading through them and interviewing grocery workers across the country. Will's here with me now to talk about what they learned. Hey, Will. Hey, Al. Hey, Al. So, Will, I know you've been focusing on the 10 biggest grocery chains like Kroger and Albertsons. The worker we heard from a minute
8: ago, uh, Nathan, is his situation unusual? No, definitely not. I mean, we heard this again and again and again. For a lot of these people, there just isn't an option. They have to go to work in order to keep food on the table. Here's what one worker at a mayor supermarket in Wyoming wrote to us. He says, there was a string of multiple days where I was insanely sick, yet I came into work to risk not being fired. I would work for a brief period of time before I nearly collapsed, and then I'm allowed to go home. That just doesn't sound safe. I mean,
0: that's not good for the employee, but also for the people that are coming into the store.
8: Right. I mean, one of the people I spoke to kind of described this as like the grocery stores are like the Petri dishes. Like that's the place that this virus is going to get spread around. I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't left my house other than to go to the grocery store. Like that's the only place I go to pick up my groceries. It's the only place I interact with people. And I think that that's a similar experience for a lot of people. But
0: there are some grocery stores that are giving people time off, right?
8: Yeah, this is definitely something that's really been evolving throughout this crisis. We heard from dozens of employees from some of the biggest grocery chains who told us that the only way that they could get paid sick time was if they could prove that they contracted COVID-19. But we all know how hard it is, especially for young people, to actually get tested. Now, some companies are beginning to relax those policies. Huge chains like Kroger are now saying that people who are sick and self-isolate, that they can also get paid time off. But for a lot of workers, it's been a really confusing time. We're definitely still hearing from people like Nathan, who feel that they have to go to work, even if they feel sick.
0: So what about pay in general? I mean, grocery stores have got to be making a lot of money right now. I've seen some stores like Publix have been making record sales lately.
8: Yeah, so early on, some chains like Whole Foods and Albertsons upped worker pay by $2 an hour, essentially hazard pay. But other companies started off smaller. Take Kroger. They initially offered workers just a $25 credit to be spent inside the store.
0: That just sounds like something from America's past. That sounds like a, a company town or something where you know, you're, you're given scripts That you can only spend in the place that you earned the script from.
8: Yeah, and you know, they took a lot of heat for that, Al. After employees complained, Kroger did up the one-time bonuses to $150 for part-time workers and $300 for full-time workers. But Kroger waited until the end of March to increase the basic pay by $2 an hour. They're calling this hero pay rather than hazard pay, and it's going into effect for at least three weeks. So what did the companies tell you when you talked to them? Well, I tried to interview all of the top 10 grocery companies, but nobody would go on the radio and answer our questions. We did get a few kind of broad PR statements that the companies have put out. So here's a statement we got from a Kroger spokesperson, for example. They say, our associates are on the front lines, ensuring Americans have access to the food and products they need during this unprecedented pandemic. We're committed to protecting the health and safety of our associates. And that same statement says that Kroger has let its employees know that they're now permitted to wear masks and gloves, but multiple Kroger employees and employees of other chains say that they've been discouraged from wearing those at their local stores. So
0: we know what a lot of grocery store workers think of their employees. What do they have to say about the customers?
8: Right, workers are really upset and frustrated about not only how they're being treated by their employers, but also how customers are interacting with them. Hundreds of workers wrote to tell us how stressful it is when people are panic buying, not staying six feet away, or even swamping them when a new delivery comes in. And some people told us they've been screamed at, hit, even spat on.
0: Okay, so, Will, all of us still have to buy food, How can we be good citizens when we're out at the store picking up our supplies?
8: I mean, grocery workers, they're tired, they're stressed out at this point. They don't necessarily want to be told that they're heroes or anything, but just a nice word here and there goes a long way, right? And, you know, when a new load of stock comes in, I'd say just respect people's space and recognize that the person unpacking that load of produce, they might be really worried whether this might be the day that they end up taking the virus home with them. And these people have to make this decision every morning when they wake up. You know, do I go to work and face this virus and come home with a paycheck? Or do I just take time off, usually unpaid? Thanks a lot, Will. Thanks,
0: Al. Also, thanks to Patrick Michaels for his work reporting this story. In these times of uncertainty... We're seeing people pull together and get creative in the ways they're helping out, especially around basic needs like food. We're going to hear now from one group that's stepping up its efforts to support the community, the Okra Project in New York City. It was founded to fight food insecurity among Black trans New Yorkers, folks that, even in the best of times, are at risk for poverty, hunger, unemployment, and homelessness. Ian Field-Stewart is the organization's founder.
9: Okra is historically in been used as a way—the okra seed would be woven into Black folks' hair during the transatlantic slave trade as a means of bringing food into this new world that we were entering. So okra in our cooking has always kind of represented, you know, uh, vitality and wealth, prosperity, like passing things on, community, that kind of thing.
0: I know it seems like a lifetime ago for many of us, but do you remember when you could just go to someone's house for dinner or have someone at yours? Back then, the Okra Project was bringing Black trans chefs into the homes of Black trans people to cook them healthy, home-cooked meals for free.
9: It can be nice to have, like, someone in your home to cook for you. Like, that's just, that's, that's a love language for so many Black people. And in our community, I think cooking is a huge way of saying, I love you, I extend grace to you. And so we thought, rather than kind of, you know, making meals and just sending them to people, like, what is it like to actually have that luxury of having a private chef. Not only is the community ability happening in the kitchen with folks who are really getting like love handed to them on a plate, we also then can connect them to like, hey, I actually need help in these other areas of my life. And here are all these other organizations full of people that look, love, and live like you that can help you as well.
0: So you create the Okra Project. You guys are going around um, serving love on a plate. I love that, that's like, that's amazing. So you're going around serving love on a plate. Uh, and then the coronavirus hits. Uh, so how have you had to change your operation because of that?
9: Obviously, in moments like this, like like this world that we are now living in, we've had to shift how we do things and what we're able to do. But the heart of what we always are trying to do in the Okra Project, there is a need, meet it, and make it easy, accessible, and free. That we go to the grocery store, we buy as much as we can, or we have um, incredible people such as Diggin. Um, or other local community organizations who have con- who have donated food to us. And we put packages together, put them in a car service, and have that car service take um, the food directly to the person so they can get it right out of the back seat. So that's sort of the best way that we found to, like, stay connected to people and make sure that people are fed and have, like, the resources they need to cook for themselves without actually having any sort of contact or exposing anyone. And it's been really difficult. The other day we got a donation that was all... Uh, fresh fruits and things like that. And so we were like, well, we have to get, we, you know, this has to go today. And it was like fully filling my living room. And so we found someone with a car. We filled the back seat with all kinds of groceries and things like that. And basically just went around and created sort of like the Okra Project drive-through grocery store. And folks could basically, you know, come out of their house. We didn't have to have contact because we could talk from the front of the car. And just like say hi to everyone and people could just get the groceries they needed. So that was some of the immediate responses that we got. Anything we had left over, we donated to the Alley Forney Center. who are doing incredible work right now as well to protect our youth. And so, yeah, I, it's been insane, but it's been really valuable to sort of know that people are still contributing to our organization and trusting us to help the community.
0: Thank you for the work you do. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it.
9: Thank you so much.
0: You can find out more about the Okra project at theokraproject.com. Bringing people together, that's one of the things air travel does best. But the industry's been hit hard by the coronavirus. When we come back, what it's meant for flight attendants who are still flying, you're listening to Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. One of the industries hit hardest by the coronavirus is air travel. The number of planes and passengers in the air is way down. In the last week of March, air carriers flew less than half the number of flights compared to the same time last year. And the federal government is stepping in, promising airline companies $50 billion in grants and loan guarantees to keep them in business. So, I was a flight attendant during 9-11, and I saw up close how the industry changed almost overnight. Of course, the security got more intense, but there were other things, too, like like how we treated each other. Everyone, flight attendants and the public, looked at each other suspiciously. It was a hard shift to make. I wanted to know what it was like flying during this crisis, so I reached out to a flight attendant who started flying about a
5: year ago. I love the job. It's a great job, too. You know, see different things that you never even think of uh, visiting in your life. And especially if you're a good people person, I love speaking with people. It's a perfect job for me.
0: This is Jay, and we're not using his full name because he's worried about losing his job. He works for one of the major carriers, but he's not flying right now because he's sick with what he's pretty sure is COVID-19. He remembers early on that his company was putting out alerts about the coronavirus on its website, but they weren't making a big deal about it. Then one day, he went to work, and everything
5: changed. There was nobody in the terminal. It was just a deserted airport. That's when I knew it was real. How long ago was that? I would say in the past two weeks, past two and a half weeks, it started getting really bad. I took a flight that usually would take a lot of people to be on that flight. However, there was only 16 people out of the 200 or so seats open. Only sixteen people on the flight.
0: Do you feel the airline was taking the threat seriously? You know, or, or do they? Did you feel like they were watching out for you and the passengers?
5: Not at first, no. I don't believe so. Until it started affecting their pockets, that's when um they started actually taking it serious. Did the airline
0: begin changing the way they clean the planes? I used to be a flight attendant, and I remember. Uh, a lot of times we would have quick turns, so you get in, the cleaning crew comes on, but also a lot of times I, we were helping the cleaning crew because you just had to move really quickly. I, right. I'm just curious if they kind of up their game with cleaning, uh, given what's going on.
5: Me personally, I haven't seen them spray any of the seats, the customer seats down. However, I have seen them go into the forward doors as well as the aft doors and spray and wipe down all of like everything that you can see.
0: I would imagine, though, being at that forward door and people coming in and you do the whole, hello, 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 and the whole time you're doing <laughs> that, you're watching people going like, do you have it? Are you sick? Are you yeah, going to get me sick? of course. They'll
5: kind of speak with kind of tilted, like their back tilted towards me, mm-hmm. a little more wary of me. Yeah, definitely that that happens a lot. So
0: when did you start feeling sick?
5: Um, I start feeling sick... Three days ago, I have a roommate who's also a flight attendant, and he tested positive for COVID-19, and shortly after that, I began feeling, having symptoms, certain symptoms of, you know, um, night sweats, fever, body aches.
0: And so have you been able to get to a doctor to get tested?
5: No, what I did was I spoke with a doctor via an app called Doctor On Demand. And they interview me. And simply off the fact that I've been in contact with somebody, they sent me a two-week form to stay off of work.
0: This virus has sort of a long incubation period. Do you think you were flying while you might have been sick?
5: Definitely. I definitely think I was sick while I was flying. I may not have had any symptoms at the time. It took a while for it to develop and to be seen. And so how are you feeling now? I'm feeling weak. My body hurts very bad. It's hard to get up out of bed, but I have to force myself to get out. Otherwise, I'll become weaker. And every night I have a a fever. And I I have cold sweats. Mm -hmm. I wake up with my bed soaked because I've been sweating all night. However, I'm freezing.
0: So is this going to change flying for you? Will you um, rethink the career path you're on?
5: Not at all. I love aviation in general. I feel like we just needed a break needed a reality check. The whole world did.
0: Jay, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank
5: you for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate your time.
0: Reveal's Melissa Lewis has been looking at how airlines are responding to the coronavirus. And Melissa, in terms of spreading the virus, how dangerous is air travel at a time like this?
4: So Al, well, the short story is uh, we don't have all the information we need to speak with certainty about that. Part of what's dangerous overall about COVID-19 is that it's fairly new, but we do know that it's the same subtype of coronavirus as SARS, and you know some of the responses to SARS were grounding flights uh, because we know that was an important vector in proliferation of the disease, and then you know other features specific to COVID-19 like. The New England Journal of Medicine published research recently that found coronavirus in air, like they aerosolized it, up to three hours later. And they found the virus living on some surfaces, like plastic, up to three days later.
0: That sounds like a nightmare in a closed environment like an airplane.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the best guidance we have from the CDC is basically impossible to follow on an airplane. You know, not being within six feet of other people. If it's a full flight, you can't really manage that. Washing your hands constantly, you can't really do that either.
0: So we're hearing about all these risks, but how well are the airlines responding to them?
4: Actually, a flight attendant reached out to me a couple of weeks ago about exactly this. She reached out because she was afraid to go to work. She was hearing about all these other people who work for airlines or work in airports who were getting sick, but she wasn't getting any more information from her employer about it. One airport shut down because air traffic control got it, at one point, she actually even saw another SkyWest flight attendant post online that they had tested positive. But again, just heard nothing directly from her employer.
0: So did she ever hear anything from SkyWest?
4: Yes, definitely. Uh, she shared documents with me from her workplace. She had emails and bulletins and an FAQ page. There's a whole employee web portal providing updated information, but it was kind of mixed, in part. It was a lot of sources of information to keep track of at the same time. But it was also because sometimes what the company said didn't reflect what she was reading elsewhere. So, for example, on March 4th, a company bulletin said that the immediate health risk from COVID-19 to the general public is considered low.
0: And to be fair, at the beginning of March, I don't think a lot of people were taking it very seriously.
4: No, I, I don't think I was either. I had just been on a flight and wasn't super worried. But on that same day that she got this company bulletin, the CDC website said this would likely become a pandemic. And the CDC website on a different page was telling airlines that any flight attendant with symptoms, even if they hadn't tested positive for it, should self-isolate. So she decided to call in and speak with someone directly about self-isolation. She had worked sick recently, not suspecting that it was coronavirus. And she was wondering, well, what happens if I feel sick again? The website said that She has to have a symptom and a doctor's note to call out from work and not have it affect her reputation score, it's called, Hmm. Uh, basically not to be penalized at work. So she called in and asked what her options are, and the person on the phone told her not just that she'd have to have a doctor's note, but that she'd have to have all of the COVID-19 symptoms, the fever, the dry cough, the shortness of breath, all of it.
0: So when I worked for a regional airline, we fed into one major and that was it. So we only had to go by one set of rules. But SkyWest has agreements with a lot of different airlines. Does she have to keep track of all of those?
4: Yeah, SkyWest actually partners with four majors, Delta, United, American, Alaska. This flight attendant doesn't have to work with all of those, but definitely has more than one to worry about. And each of those majors have their own systems for things like whether flight attendants take out the trash at the end of the flight, how beverage service works and all that. But now as these airlines respond to the crisis and each one updates their policies week to week about things like this beverage service or wearing gloves on the job, it's even more confusing to keep track of.
0: Did you get the sense that this flight attendant was feeling alone as in she's the only one that has these worries and everybody else is just working and not worried about it so much?
4: She actually, she's in a SkyWest flight attendants Facebook group, and a lot of people there are expressing concerns. I mean, a lot of people are also responding to say that they feel perfectly fine and they signed up for this. But a lot of the pushback centers around people saying, you know, they signed up to be flight attendants, but not during a pandemic. Uh, One post that really struck me was a flight attendant who said, you know, all he was getting was an extra handful of disinfectant wipes. And he said it felt like the equivalent of thoughts and prayers. But this isn't just a SkyWest problem. We've heard from flight attendants from a lot of airlines who said they also have private Facebook groups or other private online communities talking about their fears. There's actually one specific to COVID-19 that started just three weeks ago and today it has 49,000 members.
0: Wow, so what do the airlines say about these concerns?
4: Ideally, we'd have them on the phone with you to answer these questions, but none of them responded to give us an interview. We contacted the 10 largest mainline carriers and the 10 largest regional carriers, and most didn't even respond at all. And those that did respond just pointed us to the generic guidance of washing hands and social distancing like on a web page. And most of the regionals didn't have any guidance posted at all, including SkyWest.
0: So how is it possible that airlines, which are so regulated by the federal government for safety, how come we're not seeing something like that for a public health crisis?
4: So in terms of federal regulation, the Federal Aviation Administration, the Department of Transportation, really do have authority to issue emergency regulation in a time like this, but they haven't yet. We asked them to comment, but they didn't respond to our requests either.
0: Aside from these agencies, is the federal government doing anything? Uh, Congress looking at any protections here?
4: So they almost did. On March 11th, the House introduced a bill with a provision to create standards to protect workers. Specifically, workers that either the CDC or OSHA deems high risk from infectious diseases. So that includes healthcare workers, but according to OSHA, it also includes airline workers. But by the time that bill passed the House, the provision wasn't there anymore, and so it wasn't in the two trillion dollar bailout that President Trump signed to respond to this crisis.
0: Melissa, getting back to the flight attendant who worked for Skywest, what are her plans for the future?
4: So she told me she really liked doing this, and. She had no plans to stop doing it anytime soon, but she also didn't have plans for the pandemic. And now she's just not sure what she's going to do.
0: Melissa Lewis, thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks, Al. Melissa Lewis is Reveal's data reporter. She had help on that story from Emily Schwing. The rest of the show was produced by Anayansi Diaz-Cortez and Michael Schiller, with additional reporting from Patrick Michaels. Our editors for this week's show are Jen Chian, Taki Telenitis, and Brett Myers. We had additional editorial support from Andy Donahue, Nardis Zakino, Sue O, oh, and Esther Kaplan. Thanks to our engagement team, Sumi Agarwal, Bayer Duncan, and Hannah Young. Victoria Baronetsky is our general counsel. Our production manager is Mwende Inahosa. Score and sound design by the Justice League. Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, Fernando Mamanyo Aruda, and Claire C. Note Mullen. They had help this week from Amy Mustafa and Bamini. Our CEO is Krista Scharfenberg. Matt Thompson is our editor in chief. Our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado. Lightning. Support for Reveal's provided by the Reeve and David Logan Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Heising-Simons Foundation, the Democracy Fund, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember, the only way through this is together.